0: Finding your seat again, if you uh, have lost it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very warm greeting there, Ollie, that you're giving to people. <laughs> All right, my name's Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central, and uh, it's great to see everyone here this morning. And... Uh, Always good to worship God together, well done for making it out with the clock change and uh, hopefully you're feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. All right, so uh, we are looking through Mark's gospel when I've been preaching over the last uh, little while or the last few years. Uh, We're quickly approaching the end and we're in Jerusalem and in Mark chapter 12, we're in Jerusalem in the story. And uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has entered in. He's, he's caused quite a stir. He's driven out people from the temple who were uh, money changers and trading goods and things like that. And so after that, he's had quite a few people come to him, um, <coughs> religious leaders, teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, Sanhedrin, they're all coming to him and they're all uh, challenging him really, asking him questions, trying to trick him, catch him out, um, turn the crowd against him or turn the Roman authorities against him or ideally both. Um, And so far, they've pretty much failed actually because of Jesus' clever answers, Um, obviously Uh, Things will change as the week goes on. And finally now one uh, teacher of the law comes up to him. He's the last one who's going to come up to him and we're going to be reading this passage today. And so you'll find it in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28 through 34. You can find it in your Bibles if you have them. Uh, The words will appear on the screen um, behind me as well. And I'm going to read them from my Bible. I'll read from the NIV. You can follow from uh, whichever passage and Bible translation you have. All right, so verse 28 says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, and that was about the latest thing about heaven that I preached on last time. He asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one, and that there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and all your understanding, and all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. All right, so here comes this man. And uh, his question is not as aggressive as many of the other questions have been. Some of the other questions deliberately trying to catch Jesus out to trick him. This man is not coming with the same kind of spirit in his heart. Um, It seems that he's been listening to what Jesus has said and he's quite Impressed by him, he's quite taken by what he said. Uh, something inside him has stirred, and so he's coming to Jesus, and pretty much it seems he's asking a genuine question here, uh, and he's asking him which of the commandments, of so all the commandments in the Torah, all the commandments that have come, and many, many of them, um, which one is the most important? Um, he's not really just saying, well, which are the important ones, and can we not bother with the other ones? He's not coming in that way. He's more saying, you know, is there any one commandment which neatly summarizes, neatly encapsulates the whole of the law? You could say Jesus was being asked, well, what is the tweet of the Old Testament? How are you going to summarize all of the law in like just a few characters? And actually, I'm a little anal about this. I I actually typed it in to Twitter what he said, and it would fit into a tweet. (laughs) um so there you go we could have done it i could have, and i almost thought about tweeting it out then and then i thought no that looks a bit weird um <laughs> but that's what that's what jesus uh answered and he answered this hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and then he added a second commandment uh, love your neighbor as yourself both of those were in the old testament law Um, probably they've never been put together before no one had ever put them together before but they're both there and uh, that's what Jesus said the tweet of the Old Testament was the most important uh, summary of the Old Testament law and the teacher of the law thinks about it and he says you know what you've answered well he says to Jesus you've answered well and it, it's almost like there's a little bit of a power play going on here. He's a teacher of the law. And here's Jesus. He's, it's almost like he's asked his student a question. Well, what's the, what's the summary of the law? What does it mean? And uh, he says, oh, well, no, you've, you've answered well. And Jesus turns it around um, and, uh, and says, makes out that he's doing the one who's doing the judgment. And he says, well, actually, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Because you seem to have understood this yourself. Unlike some of the others who'd come up and challenged Jesus, this man had seen something. He'd begin to see something. He'd seen that it, you know there's more important things than the sacrifices, there's more important things than the offerings that are given at the temple and all of this ritual that has been going on for a while. And there was reason for it, but he's seeing actually there's something more important than all of these things. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. But he wasn't there. Being, far from the king, being not far from the kingdom of God is not the same as saying you're part of the kingdom of God. There's a big difference between the two. You can be very close to the kingdom of God. But if you're not there, you're not there. Some of us have had the advantage of being brought up in a home with believing parents. You've come to church. You've heard the gospel being preached. You may have got friends who are Christian. You may have gone to a Christian school. You may have lived your life knowing how to act, knowing how to behave, never really doing terrible things. Maybe you've studied scripture. Maybe you've gone to university and studied biblical studies or something like that or uh, whatever it might be, but you might still never have had your life transformed by the power of God. You may still never have been cleansed from your sin. You may still never have known the power of God's forgiveness. You may not have been able to say with confidence and to sing with confidence the song that we've been singing this morning, I am who you say I am. I'm free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Some of us even this morning may have struggled in singing this and thought, am I, am I a child of God? I know about God. There's lots of things. I've had experiences. Am I a child of God? Jesus might look at us and say, you're not far from the kingdom, but we wouldn't be in the kingdom. There's still another step to take and you've got to wonder did this teacher of the law did he ever enter the kingdom of God we don't know we don't know did he see Jesus's death on the cross just a week later a few days later did he hear about the resurrection of Jesus did he even see Jesus who appeared to many people after the resurrection did he give his life to Jesus did he become a disciple did he become a follower of Christ Did he become a Christian? Did he live the way that Jesus was commending him for understanding how we should live? Loving God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength and loving his neighbor as himself. Is that what happened to this teacher of the law? We don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he had thought things through. He had considered it. He had been listening to what Jesus had said to others. He had taken the time to come to Jesus and ask a good question and he'd recognized that there was truth in it. A lot of people don't bother even to do that. A lot of people don't bother to investigate the claims of Jesus. They don't really look in to what Jesus said, to who Jesus was, to the claims that he made. He claimed to be the son of God and Some people just go, oh, yeah, Jesus. Maybe he didn't even exist. Do you know? Have you looked into it? Well, maybe he was just a good man. He claimed to be the Son of God. You're not just a good man to claim to be the Son of God. You're a little crazy if you're not the Son of God. Or you said a lot of things that may be deceiving people and leading people. Maybe you're very deceptive. Maybe you're very cunning. Maybe you're very suspicious, you know, trying to gather people to your cult. Who was Jesus? Some people don't even bother to investigate those things, to investigate if Jesus was who he said he was. I'd encourage you to consider the claims of Jesus if you've never done it. If you've just, even if you've just been brought up and you've come to church week after week after week, think about it for yourself if you've never really considered it for yourself. I'd love to speak with you at the end of the meeting today or at some other point. Do get in touch with me if you want Help him finding some resources to maybe help you to discover who Jesus was, to discover what more he has for your life. So as we look at this question today that this man asks, and we look at Jesus' answer, I pray we're not going to just assess it like he did and say, Well, that's a good way to live your life. We won't just agree, like the teacher of the Lord did, that it's it's just the best way. It's better than to sacrifice an offer. Burnt offerings, I pray we'll be able to live the way that Jesus calls us to live, knowing God and loving our neighbor. And we're only going to be able to do that if we know God's love for us. So let's take a closer look at what Jesus was saying and what the Old Testament was saying and what implications that has for us in our life today. So, according to Jesus, we're to love our Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and all our mind, and all our strength, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the first part of that is basically saying, love God with everything that you have. Love God with everything that you have. Love God with your heart, that is your your will, your uh, even your emotions. Love God with your soul. It's the same as saying with your spirit, really, the part of us that continues after death. Love God with your mind, with what you think. Interestingly, that was a, a a thing that Jesus added to the Old Testament verse. In Deuteronomy, it doesn't say your mind, but Jesus added that. Love God with what you're thinking uh, and with your strength, with all the energy that you have. Love God with everything. Love God with your whole being. Our love of God might express itself in different ways, but basically it's saying love God wholeheartedly. We don't just give a part of our lives to God. We don't just love God with a, we don't just like give a tithe of our loves. Okay, God, uh, we'll we'll give you 10% of our love. We'll give you a tithe. No, we love God with everything, not just a portion of our lives. But how can we do that? How can we love God with everything that we have? Well, it's not just by saying or doing the right thing. It's not just by towing the line. It's relatively easy to, uh, to do the right thing, uh, especially in just a few times when you're in public view and other people are seeing you. It's easy to do the right thing, but our minds, our thinking, and our hearts can be somewhere else. We see that in the story of the lost son, don't we? Remember the story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15? That son who says to his father, you know, give me your Give me my share of the inheritance and I'm going to go off and I'm going to do what I want to do with it. And he goes off and he squanders all of that money in wild living and eventually the money runs out and he decides, you know what, I'm just feeding pigs. Uh, this isn't the sort of life to live, uh, despite what one or two people in this church think. It's um, what they do, uh, Dave Labour, and, uh, and others at the back who are considering it. Um, LAUGHTER Anyway, (laughs) he decided that's not the sort of life to live. I should stick to my notes. Uh, That's not the sort of life we should live. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to uh, ask my father for, you know, if I can just be his servant. And he goes back, and his father runs out to him, and he lavishes love on him, doesn't he? He, he ho- runs to him, and he hugs him, and welcomes him, and he says, "Here's some new sandals, and a ring on your finger, and and a robe, and I'm going to kill the fatted calf, and I'm going to give a big feast for you. We're going to have a big." party you remember that story but the the important part of the story actually is is the part that we sometimes miss Well, that part's important because it's demonstrating the love of God for us and how he forgives us but you get this this bit at the end of the story where you've got the older brother and what's the older brother doing the older brother's the one who's always done the right thing he's always he's never rebelled He's not gone away and lived this wild life. He's the one who's taken on the responsibility, probably his brother's responsibilities as well, in looking after the, the, the sheep and the, and the pigs and whoever, whatever else he's got. And, the, uh, and, and he's done the right thing all the time. And what happens when this younger brother comes back? He gets resentful. He's jealous. He's angry. And he says to his father, what's going on? Why have you lavished all this love? Why are you throwing a party for him? I'm not going in. Because he's not really understood his father's love. His father says to him, you've always had these things. You've been here. These things have been there for you. Everything I have is yours. You've had the opportunity to know my love. Well, he's never really known the love of his father. He's never really understood the grace and the love that a father has brings he's just done the right thing he's just lived the right way a good life but inside he's got all this stuff going on and he's got all this anger and resentment lots of people have that going on in their life they may never have done the wrong thing many church people do they show up on Sunday, they might give a tithe, they might not sin in any way that's obvious to anyone else. They think they're doing pretty well, but secretly they have resentments of other people. Sometimes they see people, other people in their lives, and they think, well, their lives are all over the place. They're doing this, and they're doing this. How can they be a Christian? And then suddenly they, they come, and they, and they stand up at the front, and they say, oh, you know, I was doing these things, and now I realize God's love for me, and they're testifying to it, and, and they're and these people's hearts can be against them. They can be like, well, that's not fair. How can that be? How can they be receiving God's love? They've not worked hard. They've not given. They don't, I don't think they've even given anything to the church. I've been giving my tithe every week. I've been working hard. I've been serving week after week on this team or that team, setting up, putting the hours in. And what have I got from it? It's that kind of resentment. It's that kind of attitude that that older son has. They get angry. They get angry when they see God's blessing on people because maybe it's a, a blessing that they've never known for themselves. Maybe it's a love and a forgiveness and a lavish grace that they've never experienced. You see, we can do the right thing to an extent. We can live the right way. The Pharisees did that. The Pharisees lived the right way. But their hearts were against Jesus. They were against the Son of God. It's not love. We can only know God when we've known His love for us. We can only really understand and love Him back and then go on and love others when we've understood just the depth of Christ's love for us. Do you know that love of God which comes from undeserved forgiveness? It can be harder to see when you haven't had those depths of of sin like the lost son had. But you know what? We all need it. We've all got rebellious hearts. The oldest son, it was hidden for a long time, but it came out in the end. He showed his anger to his father. Only once we know the love of God and receive it by his Holy Spirit can we express it back to God through loving others. That's the only way. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew the love of his father. Jesus knew the love of the spirit. When Jesus quotes this commandment, he's actually quoting the Shema. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. The Jews used to recite it every day. It was a thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And part of that bit that says the Lord is one, the the word there, the Hebrew word that says the Lord is one, it's an interesting word. It's actually meaning multiple, but expressed in such a unified way that they are one. It, the word's still u- the same words used in Genesis 2, 24, talking about marriage. A man is united to his wife and they become one. Well, those of you who are married know that you're not really just becoming one. You don't merge into one person. Um, you're multiple, but you're united. You're unified in such a way that you are one. So God is one, but he's also three. He's three in one, the Trinity. So Jesus had For all eternity, a relationship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. They've been in loving relationship all that time. Even when Jesus was on earth and he was rejected and faced opposition and had friends deserting him, he still knew the love of the Father and he still knew the love of the Spirit. So God is a relational God and we're made in God's image. He created us to be loving relational people. He wants a relationship with us. And he wants us to have relationship with other people. We're not created to live alone. God created Adam, didn't he? And he was in relationship with God. He was in perfect relationship with God. And yet God said, it's not good for Adam, for man to be alone. So he created Eve. We're created for relationship. Not just relationship with God, because Adam had that, but relationship with each other as well. And if we don't have that, we struggle hugely. So how do we access God's love? How do we know God's love for us? Well, we know God's love through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We receive God's love by the Holy Spirit and then we're able to love back. It all comes from what we receive from him and we express it by loving others. So how did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? Well, how d- first of all, before we even ask that question, how did Jesus demonstrate his love for the Father? Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father and the Spirit by going to the cross and dying. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was there And he's facing death and he's sweating blood and he knows what's to come. And he says, is there any other way? And then he says, but not my will, but yours, Father. Jesus went to the cross because of his love for his father and his father's love for him. So hold on. Did Jesus die on the cross because he loved us? Or did he die on the cross because he loved his father? Well, it was both. It was both. His love for the father was worked out in showing his love for us. He perfectly fulfilled loving God with all his heart by laying down his life for us. Let's see what he says here in John 15 verses 9 through 13. Because we see what he's saying here. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He's talking to his disciples. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And then he says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he's saying, God's loved me, and he's saying, I'm going to lay down my life for my friends because I've loved you. And he says, remain in my love, remain in the love of God. How do we do that? How do we work that out? By loving one another. By loving one another, by sacrificial love for one another, laying down your life for your friends. Jesus is loved by the Father. He gives his life for others. And that's what the Bible tells us to do too. So, and we do it with people in the church and we do it with people outside of the church. So that's why Jesus puts those two together. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And an outworking of that is going to be love your neighbor as yourself. It's put the two together because they go together. Because that's how it's expressed. Lay down your life for them. Treat them the way that you treat yourself. You don't have to tell people to love themselves, do we? No one has to be... I I give you a command, love yourself. We just do it anyway. We do it anyway. In a simple world, it comes naturally for people to be primarily concerned for their own well-being. I've heard Christian, well, I've heard preachers who, who take this verse and they say, and they twist it around and they say, do you know what? Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. You can't love others unless you love yourself. So we've got to focus on loving yourself. I've heard people actually teach that. And it's like, no, we've got to focus on loving God or primarily, first of all, God's love for us. If we don't know God's love for us, we can't love God. If we don't love God, we won't be able to love others. The starting point isn't love yourself. We don't start by saying, we've got to get this figured out. Just spend time, once you've figured out how to love yourself, well, then you might start to love others. No, you won't. You'll love yourself. You'll just be self-centered and selfish. It's crazy. Crazy. That's not what Jesus was saying. We're to redirect that love of ourselves towards love of others because of our love for God. We begin, the Bible tells us, we begin by loving our brothers and sisters in the church, just as we've seen from that passage in John. The same John, by the way, who wrote the gospel, and that's what Jesus said, the same John expresses it himself in his letters. First John chapter 3 He expresses it very similarly. John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So what's the implications of that? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he spells it out. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He's not just saying, we have to do these things or God won't love us. He's not saying, do these things and then God will love us. He's, he's putting it the other way around. He's saying, we've known what love is through Jesus dying for us. And an outworking of that is we lay down our lives for our friends. He goes on and he explains it more in, in chapter 4, verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. So whoever claims to love God, to have received that love and to love God back, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, they're a liar. Whoever doesn't love their brother or sister, who they've seen, can't love God, who they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So he's saying, if you you don't love other people, if you don't love others in the church, your brother and sister in the church, because that's who he's referring to, brothers and sisters in the church. If we don't do that, maybe we've not fully understood God's love for us. Because if we have understood it, then we'll outwork it in the church through loving each other. If you know someone's in need in the church, practically help them. If you don't, John's saying, I'm not sure you love God. If you love God, you're beginning to love others. We see it in the start of Acts, don't we? Early chapters of Acts, this is what we see. We see the Holy Spirit poured out. We see 3,000 people being saved and added into the church. They become a church together. They were just 3,000 people before that. They weren't in relationship with each other. They came and they heard what was said. They were from all over, lots of different countries. Suddenly, they're added. They're hearing God speaking to them in their own language through the disciples, and and they're like, "What's going on here?" And then they ask Peter, and Peter says, "Repent and be baptized." and Come into a relationship with Christ, and they do, and so they form a church very quickly. And what do they start to do? Well, very quickly in Acts, you see, they start to meet each other's needs, and and they they says no one considered anything they owned their own. So they they're like, oh well, this this isn't just mine. I'm not just being selfish now. It's it well, it's it's a, it's a corporate thing. It's a shared. You, they don't. They still own it because it says they don't consider it, but they give resources and they're very freely sharing with each other and working with each other and helping each other and loving each other. And then some of them even start saying, well, I've got some land and I don't really need that land or or property. Do you know what? I'm going to sell it because I know there's some people in the church who are really struggling. So they sell the land and they sell that and they lay it at the apostles' feet and then the apostles give to everyone who has need. You see what's starting to happen. These are people who didn't know each other before. They're not like this community that's been well established for years. But what's happened? They've, they've been united together because of this love of God that's been poured out in their lives. How? Through the Holy Spirit. They've received the Holy Spirit. And they're changed. And it's suddenly it's all different. They didn't act this way before. You see, we, like, we sometimes think that we, we can have this personal relationship with God. It's just me and God. Oh, now it's me and Jesus. I'm hearing from God directly. And oh, yeah, me and I'm walking with God. And, and we do this. All, but that's not the deal. That's not what God called us into. When God saves us, he brings us into his family the church, and he calls us to work out his love for, for him in that family. Just look through the Bible at all of the one-anothers that you get in the New Testament. Okay, I'm going to tell you what they are. All of these one-anothers. This is not about us and God alone. It's about us and God and each other. Okay, I'll not get, I've got all the, if anyone wants all the, the references, I'll give them them afterwards. But here we are. The Bible says, be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for one another. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Offer, the, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others and in many places, love one another. How many one another's are there? It's about us. It's about each other. Just over a week ago at our vision evening, we recommitted ourselves to one another. We, worship, we met together, we worshipped together, we broke bread together, we prayed together, we chatted together, we heard what God's doing amongst us together. And then we expressed our commitment to each other by signing a membership book, which was a symbol, really, of what's already going on. It's our ongoing commitment to each other. And what we did was we said, look, if you're not able to make it, to that meeting, please let us know. We understand not everyone can make it, but please let us know, because what we want to do and what we did was we, we... I read out all of the people who had got in touch with me and said, yes, we, we, we're wanting to continue in commitment towards each other. I, I read out those names so we knew, oh, these people can't make it, but they're, they're with us. They're committed to one another. And uh, it was encouraging, and it, it was encouraging to see the emails come in, to be honest, and some people expressing their real regret that they couldn't be there, but then they're saying how much they love the church and how, how they love what God's doing, and they, they couldn't imagine being anywhere else. There's so some really encouraging emails that we got through. Um, interestingly then, there was a few others who sent emails, and they just said things like, uh, yep, keep me on the list. Um, and, and to be honest, there's no judgment there at all, but as I read them, I just thought, I'm not sure you've got it. I'm not sure you've really understood what this is about because it's not about being on a list. It's not about being on a list. It's not about a list of members. Membership is being committed to one another as part of the body of Christ. Paul expresses it in 1 Corinthians. It's not a name on a piece of paper. It's not about being able to have your say. It's not about being able to vote. We don't even do that anyway. It's about a deep love and commitment to each other that's expressed in so many ways, so many ways. See, if we think that just being a Christian is about just us and God, well then we' just come to church on a Sunday. We just come to church. It's not about being church for us. it's about coming to church and if we do that, then we, we just come to a church because we like the preaching or we like the worship style or the worship leaders. And so you sit alongside others who are here just for the same reason. They just like, like what they hear. They like the way it's put on. They like the event. We're not about an event. We're not just putting on an event. You've probably noticed that already by, <laughs> by the way we set things up. It's not showy. We're not about show. We're about gathering together. But if you just come and it's just about what happens, then you go home at the end. You may be sitting right next to someone and you may never have spoken to them. Maybe you haven't this morning. It's more like you're part of an audience than a, than a congregation, than a church. I mean, I, I love watching... I love watching the Blue Jays. I'm excited about the start of the new season. I know, that's strange to understand, but I'm excited. And, uh, and in, in a few weeks' time, actually, I'm going go, uh, to go the, to the Rogers Centre and, uh, and watch a couple of games. And everyone there is going to be united in their, in their love for the Blue Jays, in their desire to watch them play. But you know what? There'll be maybe 20,000 people there, and they won't have any relationship with each other at all. It's just a group of people. It's just a crowd. And, they, and their connection is with, with the people performing. Their connection isn't with each other. Well, that's not what we are. I mean, we might gather in, a, in an auditorium, but this isn't a show. This isn't a performance. This isn't a, some entertainment. It, we're together. We're gathering together. It's so far from what God's called us to, is just being part of an audience. We're called into relationship with each other. And we have to see it, and we have to begin to live it out and continue to live it out. You're not just called into a relationship with, with a pastor. Your relationship isn't primarily with me or with Brent. And you might be grateful for b- those things, <laughs> to be honest. But it's not. It's, it's not. not. Brent's a great guy. <laughs> talk about myself you know that's just the spiritual equivalent of going to of having a counselor or a therapist that's not that's not what it's about our relationships and our encouragement and our strengthening and even our admonishing and our hospitality and our prayer support and our friendships and our discipleship where does it come from one another that's what we've just read it comes from one another comes from ourselves So yes, on a Sunday, the way things are structured, it's difficult. We try and make time for relationship on a Sunday. That's why we encourage people to stick around at the end and chat for a while and have a coffee or whatever. Not because we serve great coffee. It's not, you know, not because we think it's better than Tim Hortons. Although I think it is better than Tim Hortons. But um, we encourage people to hang around. Sundays aren't the ideal time, but and it, it can be awkward. I understand it. You know, I find it difficult. To talk to people who, who maybe you don't know very well, you know I mean, I, I struggle from face, bl- face blindness to some extent, and so to me, like everyone, it's the first time I'm talking to them <laughs> when I go up to them <laughs> until I realize I've spoken to them 10 times before. Um, and you know, it can be awkward. Th- we can all have things that make it seem awkward for us. She might think, "Oh Mark, you're, you're quite confident and, and outgoing, "Well, yeah, I, I am." But there are things that make it difficult. To say, I'm not saying that. Well, I'm partly saying it to apologise in case I've said to you, "Hey, are you new?" Yeah. Um, no, I've been here five years. Which has <laughs> um, <laughs> <it just> happened. <laughs> but things can be difficult. Things can be awkward. Do you know what? Just push past it, because because there are people. I n- I tell you, there are people here. And however much we say, this is what we're about, and this is what we are about. But there are people here today who, who find it very difficult and who are, th- who are genuinely lonely, genuinely find it difficult and can think, well, I want to stick around and I want to talk to people and then they find it's hard and, and they find others don't talk to them and it can be hard and it can be a lonely place. That shouldn't be what church is about. I was, I was looking, I was standing over here earlier in the worship time and I was looking out over the church and I was thinking wow what it's a great church and i love the fact that our church is so diverse i love the fact that we've got young people and older people and people from all sorts of nationalities and all sorts of different backgrounds and uh, you know everything and we're all together it's the love of god that unites us it's that that unifies us and i love it and brothers and sisters, let's push past the awkwardness and get to know each other. Now, you're not going to get to know each other well on a Sunday morning, and you're not going to get to know everyone in here, but we can we can say hello, and we can say, how's it going? But there's other ways that we can get connected, and I would encourage you, find a way to connect. Find at least one way to connect. It, it may well be a life group. We, we run life groups uh, all across the city um, pretty much every week, and we can connect you to a life group. And that's a, that's a group of people who we can do all of these one-anothers with. We can really start to dig in and get to know each other a little bit better. And so s- speak to someone at the Welcome Desk, speak to one of us, email us if you want to get connected to a life group. For some of you, it might not be a life group. For some of you, it might be just coming along. I know for some, uh, we, we have Wednesday prayer times every, uh, every week. And for some of us, it's just that connection through that group. And we meet each week and we pray and we encourage each other and, we, and, we, uh, and we're in relationship with each other. And for others, it might be serving in a team. It might be serving in drop-in. It might be serving on kids' club. It might be serving on the welcome team. But there's ways where we can develop real friendships and encourage each other, not just superficial ones, but where we can start beginning to share our lives with each other. So I think that's where it starts. But loving... Our neighbor as ourselves obviously goes beyond that as well. It goes beyond that. Jesus said, he's he's told a parable of the Good Samaritan, which basically was saying your neighbor can even be your enemy. We're to love others as well. We're to love others in the world outside of the church, to love people who have got very different views to ourselves, maybe very different beliefs to ourselves, very different lifestyles to ourselves. Maybe some people who we might feel a little uncomfortable around. Maybe people who even oppose us. But they're the people we have to love. And we love them because of the love God's given us. We can often hear a lot about making disciples and evangelism and those sort of things. But actually Jesus said the main thing is to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Pretty much most of us have got physical neighbors. We, we live in a place where we've got other people maybe next door to us, maybe either side of us. Hopefully they're not your enemy. But why not ask God to speak to you by his Holy Spirit about how you can bless them and how you can love them because he's put you in that place where you are physically their neighbor and you can physically show them the love of God. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's easy to get annoyed with your neighbors, isn't it? There's things where your life imp- their life impinges on yours and it can be frustrating. Maybe, maybe after a snowstorm, you've cleared your driveway and then they go out and clear theirs and blow all their snow in- back into your driveway again. And you'd be like, ah, oh, what's going on? Well, maybe God's encouraging you to go and, and, instead of resenting it, go and snow blow their drive for them, and blow it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> but to show love to them instead. As Brent said, as a church, we've we've got we're looking to purchase this Topmar building uh, in Clark Street. We've got a great opportunity to to bless that area of the city that we're moving into we want to see that building used in ways that could really serve the community Um, because they're not going to get one to us because we've got a building there they're going to get one to christ because and to us because of our love for them and god's love being shown to them increasingly across cities in North America, many churches are building big facilities, big buildings, and families are traveling from way out to into a community, and then they're traveling back, and there's buildings there, and it doesn't bless the local community at all. It just annoys them, to be honest, because they've suddenly got all this traffic going on on a Sunday morning. We don't want to be that sort of church. We want to show God's love to our neighbors in Clark Street whenever we move there. Like Brent said, we, we, we went to see a ministry in in St John called Outflow um, on Friday. A Christian organisation began several years ago, actually in a very similar to way how how we started doing things. Just they were giving out sandwiches and water to people on the street, people in need. Then they began to provide. Uh, meals for people, which led to um, them doing a men's shelter. Um, but then they, they, they increasingly thought, you know, we just want to help people a little more, not just to give them a handout, but to really give them a, a hand up to, to equip them, to empower them, to find ways to relate and, and have relate ongoing relationship with people. So they began doing a number of different things, and it, it was encouraging and inspiring to see. They ran uh, a thing, well, it's got a few pictures, these aren't great pictures by the way. Um, we ran something c- they ran something called Catapult Construction, and uh, this was a way, there was a guy called Wayne who heads it up, he's a former convict, he now works with people who are in danger of going the same way, and uh, they, they're giving people training and skills so they're able to find a job, but they're coming alongside people and relating with them, they said, uh, as we were talking to them about all of the things that they do, they, they said, uh, you know, really it's discipleship. We don't call it that to them. Uh, he said, but that's what it is. We, we're sharing the love of Jesus to them. We, we're helping people and we're training and we're equipping and, and, and ultimately trying to lead them in, in God's ways and into a relationship with God. Um, local teenagers who've dropped out of high school are put on an 11-week program, hopefully help get them get back on track. They're working with people of lots of different faiths. Um, this next picture, Amir. Oh, no, that's another thing that they do. I'll talk, talk about that. There's, uh, c- uh, they gather people from the community. Let's just go back one now, we've had it. Um, where they've got um, uh, the Cap- Catapult Creative, uh, people from the community just gathering together who've got a passion for uh, craft. And so they, they're meeting together and they create products together out of garbage, things that have been dis- um, you know, discarded, really and uh and and then they sell them in their in their coffee shop um yeah, uh, going back to that other one, this guy Amir um he's a Muslim uh from Syria, and uh, they've got him making so he's really good with woodwork and creating things, and so um you know he's done some amazing carpentry, but he's one of the people who's there doing things, they're selling that in the in the coffee shop as well um but they said, oh, you know. A staff we've been, uh, a staff we've been running staff prayer times, and and he comes along and he joins in, and increasingly he's seeing something. Well, why is he seeing something? Because the love of Christ is being extended to him. well oh, he's someone of a different belief. Whole mindset is different. Whole belief structure is different. But Christ's love is getting shared, and increasingly he's being one. He's not a Christian yet, but he's very much part of what they're doing. And then the, the coffee shop, um, which other people can come into and meet and use as a, a space. And again, relationships being been developed. And many of the staff in the coffee shop as well are people who are maybe on the fringes of society, people in the local community who just can't get a job perhaps. And they're going to come alongside and they're working alongside people who, have, who are you know, Christians, part of the local church. And, and there they are. And they're showing God's love. And these are just some of the ways in which they're loving people. And who knows what God's going to call us to do? I'm not saying we're going to recreate these things at all. We don't know. But it's this sort of thing where we can be part of a local community and we can share the love of Christ to a broken world. That's who God's calling us to be. He's calling us to be those who love God with everything we have and who love our neighbor as ourselves, And we can't do that if we don't know people, and we can't love people who are different and oppositional to us if we don't have the love of God in our hearts. So we need to keep coming back to him. We need to keep being filled by his Holy Spirit and receiving his love and knowing his love and being encouraged in his love so we can go out and show his love to a needy world. And knowing that's the way to live brings us closer to the kingdom. But we want more than being close to the kingdom. We want to enter into all that God's got for us. We want to enter into the kingdom through knowing God, expressing our love for God through others, and receiving it again and again. So why don't we stand together and pray? Maybe Joel's going to come back up as well. I don't know. And we'll worship. But let's stand and let's just come before God. And we stand together as his church. Maybe just, just as well as just, we can sometimes stand and we can close our eyes. Why don't we just look at e- look around at each other as we stand? I don't get awkward about it. Because it, gu- it was good to just stand and look. And just look. <laughs> Because there's many, many different people here. There we go. We see some hands being shaken and some people being <laughs> said hello to. It's good. We're, we're together. We're meant to be together. Father God, I pray you'll do that amongst us. I pray as we know your love and as we worship you and as we receive your love and know what it is to be forgiven and know what it is to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I pray. I pray you'll work that out in us, that we love one another. I pray that we'll be able to love one another as your church. Lord, I pray we'll be able to say, oh, there's no one who is in any need. That's what was said of the early church. No one among them was in any need. Lord, I don't think that's the case here yet. But Lord, we want that to be the case. We want that to be able to be said of us. We want it to be said of us that there's no one here who is lonely. There is no one here who is disconnected. Because you connect us. You bring us into family. Your church is not a place for loneliness, Lord. So, oh God, oh God, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it just by sheer act of will. We need you. Pour out your love to us again, not just so we feel good or know something of you or are encouraged by you, Lord, so that we might show others, so that we might be able to get past some of those awkwardnesses of, of our temperament or of our disabilities that we might have in not recognizing people or just not knowing what to say or all of those things. Help us get past it, Lord. Help us to show your love. Help us to welcome each other Even if we don't even speak each other's language, help us to find ways to show your love. And Lord, take us from that to showing your love to a world which is very, very different, but a world that you died for and that is desperate to know something of your love. Show us the way, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Amen.